Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to cover the whole chapter. I'm going to just, what I want to do this morning is represent, is I want to tell you who Peter is, and then I want to tell you the background of this 1 Peter. So Peter is an apostle of Jesus, right? And his name is also Cephas. He was one of the followers of Jesus Christ. He was outspoken and very passionate about what Peter was the kind of guy that before he acted, he didn't even think about it. It was just, I'm going to go ahead and go do it. And you could see that through the Gospels. And so he was one of Jesus' closest friends and apostle. He was a pillar, a leader of the church, of the early church. Peter was enthusiastic, strong-willed. He's very impulsive and at times very brash. He was very straightforward. But for all his strengths, Peter has several failings in his life. And we could see that through the Gospels. But the Lord Jesus Christ chose him to be an apostle, to be one of his guys to take out the kingdom message to the world. So Simon was originally from Bethsaida, and he lived in Capernaum. And both of these cities was on the coast of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus did most of his ministry, right? He was married. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He, James, and John were partners in a profitable fishing uh, business they were in. So Simon met Jesus through his brother Andrew, who had followed Jesus after hearing John the Baptist proclaim that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Remember that? As we went through the book of Matthew, all of this will be reminded to you. So Andrew immediately went to find his brother to bring him to Jesus. Can you imagine that? Upon meeting uh, Peter... Upon meeting Simon, Jesus gave him a new name. He called him Cephas, that's in Aramaic, and Peter in Greek, which means rock or stone or pebble. Uh, Later, Jesus officially called Peter to follow him, producing a miraculous catch of fish. Remember, they were out on the sea, and Jesus was on the shore, and he said, hey, cast your net. And they said, we've been fishing all night. And so they cast it, and what do you know? A net full of fish came up. So... So Peter, he left everything behind him to follow the Lord Jesus Christ during that moment. And for the next three years, Peter lived as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, a natural-born leader he was. He was a natural-born leader. Peter became the so-called spokesperson for the Twelve. Remember that? Every time we read the Gospels, and if you, read, if you go through the Gospels like Peter and Jesus, next to Jesus, Peter is mentioned more time in the Gospels than anybody else, because he was very straightforward. He was giving his opinions on things. So Peter was part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with James and John. And those three, Peter, James, and John, uh, were present when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus. Remember that? We see that in Mark chapter 5. And when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, and we see that in the book of Matthew, also in the other Gospels, Peter and John, were when Jesus was transfigured on the, the mountain, they were there. So Peter, John were given the special task of preparing the final Passover, as we're going to learn as we go through, all, through the book of Matthew. So Peter has some key roles as far as being a leader and a disciple of Jesus. 
But in several instances, Peter showed himself to be very straightforward at the point of where he's not even thinking about who he's, what he's doing, but he just acts. Sometimes I think, you know, I have a little bit of Peter in me because sometimes I just go forward and not even think about it, not even think about the consequences, just do it, and then, you know, you live with the, the consequence of the choices that you make. So, for example, if it, it, um, it was Peter who left the boat to walk on the water to Jesus, remember? Remember that? And he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. It was Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke him for speaking of his death. Remember that? And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that was Peter. The Lord swiftly corrected him. It was Peter who suggested erecting three tabernacles to honor Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. We see that in the book of Matthew, chapter 17. And fell to the ground in fearful silence at God's glory. It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked the servant of the high priest. Remember that? He didn't act. He, he didn't think about it. He just acted. That was Peter. And immediately told, and Jesus told him, Peter, put away your sword. It was Peter who boasted that he would never forsake the Lord Jesus. This was Peter. He told the Lord Jesus, if everyone leaves you, Jesus, I will be there. And later denied Jesus three times. Have we been there, church? Have we been there? God, I'm going to do these things for you. I'm going to do this for you. And we deny him at times. That's Peter. Through all of Peter's ups and downs, the Lord Jesus remained his loving friend, his God, his Lord and Savior. Jesus reaffirmed Peter the rock in Matthew 16, promising that all, that all he would uh, do in establish, establishing his church. And after his resurrection, Jesus specifically named Peter as the one who needed to hear the good news. Remember that? Because Peter was in a state where he denied Jesus three times. And he hasn't seen or met Jesus yet, but Jesus appears to him. Jesus specifically named Peter as the one who needed to hear the good news. And repeating the miracle of the large cache of fish, Jesus made a special point of forgiving and restoring Peter. Ain't that our Lord Jesus? Peter was very instrumental in the early church. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was the main speaker to the crowd in Jerusalem. If you go through the book of Acts, you'll see the church born, and you'll just see fire of the Holy Spirit go throughout. And Peter was involved. And the church began, and Peter, remember Peter preached, and 3,000 new believers came to know God. Not because Peter was special, because he taught well. The power of the Holy Spirit was on him. Right? The power of the Holy Spirit. That's like Pastor Ben teaching the Word of God. The power of the Holy Spirit enters a person and makes them realize, you know what, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Peter was very instrumental. So Jesus promised that Peter would be a foundational in the building of his church. Even as an apostle, Peter experienced some growing pains. At first, he had resisted taking the gospel to Cornelius. You can see this all through the book of Acts. Peter was heavily involved. 
taking the gospel to Cornelius, and he was a Gentile like you and me. You know, the gospel came to the Jews first and then to the world. So Peter was very, very important in God's early church and what he wanted to um, establish. So later in life, Peter spent time with John Mark. And, John, and we find this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. And John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, was based on Peter's remembrance of his time with Jesus. Can you see how important Peter is? Mark got his account for the gospel of Mark from Peter. So Peter wrote two inspired epistles, which we're going to look, look at today. Um, and this was probably written around 60 to 68 AD from what I've researched and what I studied. And Jesus said that Peter would die a martyr's death. A prophecy fulfilled presumably during Nero's reign. Tradition has it that Peter was crucified. But he doesn't, he didn't want to be crucified his Lord, like his Lord Jesus. He said, crucify me upside down. This was Peter. This is the guy who wrote this gospel. This was the guy who wrote 1 Peter. Just a little background of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 identifies the author of the book as Peter, the apostle Peter. The book of 1 Peter was probably written, like I said, around 60 to 68 AD. 1 Peter is a letter from Peter to the believers who have been dispersed or exiled or scattered throughout the ancient world because of intense persecution for their faith. If you knew Jesus, if you confess, or if you were part of the new movement, which they called later on became the Christians, you were out being persecuted. And if anyone understood persecution, it was Peter, right? Peter was beaten, threatened, punished, jailed for preaching the word of God. And don't take my word for it. Read the book of Acts. You'll see Peter's life come to action. Some key verses in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Praise be to God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 2.9, you probably all heard these verses but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might declare the promise of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes. And Peter said in 2.24, he said, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You today have been healed. Because of Jesus, crucified on that tree for you and me. And this is what Peter's proclaiming. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So just a brief summary of First Peter through this time of persecution, it was a desperate time for believers. If you confess Jesus, most more than likely you were put to death if they caught you. So Peter reveals that it was actually a time to rejoice because of the trials they were going in. He says to count it a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. That's kind of hard to do when you're going through trials. I'm thinking especially... 
with those people down there who had all those kids. They're going through a trial right now, and that's a trial I've never experienced. It's a trial that you and I will never understand because we're not walking in their shoes. And Peter's telling these believers, he's telling them, there's going to be trials, but you have to persevere because the outcome, the best is yet to come, he would say. These trials, it will happen, but the best is yet to come. Amen? Okay, I'm not finished. That's just my introduction. All right, now we're getting into 1 Peter. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we see right there that Peter is the writer of this epistle or letter, and he wrote two letters to the churches. Now he's writing to the pilgrims. Pilgrims are like people wandering for a homeland. You know, when I think of pilgrim, I think of the people that came over here with the hats and the funny pants. They were looking for a home to belong in. They didn't want to be persecuted in Europe no more. That's why they came here. So can you imagine? Uh, Peter calls us. We are, you guys are pilgrims. No matter what this persecution you're going through, this earth, this, this life is not our permanent home. It's heaven. And that's what he's reminding them. He's going to get into the good news before he tells them to persevere in trials. So he's writing to them because they're being persecuted. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, this is modern-day Turkey. And for the first hundred years of Christianity, Christianity was on fire in these regions. But sadly enough today, Christianity, the Christian church has died out in that region. There's a few, but it's not like it was back then. Can you imagine that? The church is being born. It's spread like wildfire in these places. And now, and we can see that. We can see that in Europe, in England, where the church was on fire. Then it came to the U.S., the church was on fire. We can see that. Now it's spreading in China, the church is on fire. Spreading to Africa, spreading to all the regions where they're being persecuted. But we're comfortable here. Verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So in these first two verses, the author is Peter the Apostle, the audience he's speaking to, the believers that are being persecuted, and he calls them pilgrims or exiles, strangers of this world, right? And he says in verse 2, I'm writing to the believers, and he called, calls them God's elect, God's chosen people, according to God's foreknowledge. Now, there's other, other doctrines out there that God only elects people to be saved. And then I say to you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, are you a whoever? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then you can argue with me, well, God is God and he chooses the elect, right? And if you're not part of the elect, be one of the elect. Go ahead and come on. Jesus is waiting for you. You want to be part of the elect? The invitation is there. 
So, in God, the believers are God's elect according to God's foreknowledge. God knew your life before you were even born. Way before, before we even recognize what time is. Time is a thing that man has to put together because it confines us. We don't understand eternity until we actually get to be with him. And we only understand what's here on this earth. Can you imagine the universe? That just blows me away. Like I'm so concerned with the thing with my life here on this earth. I'm so concerned with my relationships, my job, what I have to do. But yet God is so infinite more than my little world. Right? Puts things in perspective. It really does. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first thing I want to notate is God's abundant mercy is available to you and to me and to this world, even today, even now. God's abundant mercy is there. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how bad of a person you think you are, God's abundant mercy is there for you. And that's what Peter's telling these guys. God's abundant mercy is there for you. That abundant mercy comes through the living hope, which is Jesus. So we have God's abundant mercy. We have his living hope. Living is not dead, right? Living is alive and well. When Jesus conquered death, he was raised from death to life. He is a living God, not a dead God. We do not serve a dead God. There's many dead gods that people do serve, We do not serve a dead God. We serve a living God that we follow. And and that, and Peter is telling these guys, hey, you have God's abundant mercy no matter what you're going through right now. You need to lean on to the living hope, which is Jesus. Not because Jesus, because Jesus conquered death. And every single person here will die. You will die no matter how well you take care of yourself. No matter how well you eat, no matter how well you exercise, you are going to die. And that's very sobering. Our living hope is Jesus. He is the reason for this hope. He conquered sin and death. He overcame that. Verse 4 says, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The security of our hope is Jesus Christ. The inheritance that we have as the people of God is not of this earth, it's in heaven. Guys, this life is not it. The best is yet to come. No matter how difficult this life is for you right now, think of your week. How's your week been? How's your walk been? Has it been shaky? Are you on shaky ground this morning? Are you on solid ground? No matter what it is, heaven is waiting for us because of Jesus. He's the living hope. No matter what we experience, those families down there, 
And did you guys see the little the video of one of the little one of the girls? He's and she recited from the Bible. She was going, "If I die, I'm going to go into heaven and be with Jesus." There's a living hope she stands on. That is who we stand on. That's our inheritance. Our security of this hope is in Jesus. It won't fade away. It's not going to spoil like the things of this world. We can hold on to the things of this world. We can collect stuff, as many guitars as we want, as many bass, as many whatever. All that stuff is going to fade away, guys. I have a few guitars too. That's why I'm saying that. The most important things to you, like we think of this world and what, what's important to people. Status. Degrees. Money. Relationships. For guys, I can think of a guy, oh, they love their cars. I'm in the car business. I see guys who are just, oh, I got to have the next greatest car. Really, until it breaks down, then you get another next greatest car. And Jesus is telling us our inheritance does not fade away like the things of this world. Because it's in heaven waiting for us. In verse 5 it says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be, be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter gives them the good news. He says, you guys have abundant mercy. You have a living hope who is Jesus. You have this inheritance, which is far greater than anything that you can experience here on earth. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to believers that are being persecuted. They're running for their lives. And Peter's telling them there's something greater than what you are experiencing right now, that's heaven. And you will have trials. We do have trials on this earth, right? Every single one of us goes through trials. I can think about a physical trial that I went through when my back went out. It was so bad that I couldn't even, it took like a couple hours for me just to get out of bed and adjust my back and that was a trial that was a painful physical trial. And I was laying on my bed, I said, Jesus, just take me home right now. Take me home. Selfish prayer. Oh, God, take this pain. What I was really saying is, oh, I can't stand this pain no more. Jesus, take me home right now. I can't say, ask my wife. I was almost crying. Almost. <laughs> she had to help me up. I think she got frustrated and started quipping a baby. Just get up. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, thank God you're not Jesus. But she did help a lot, so appreciate that. Guys, the basis of our hope is guarded in God's power through faith until Jesus returns. That is what we should hold on to, no matter what life throws at us. And Peter gives them all this good news about their heavenly inheritance. And then he gets into the trials. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. There's various trials that we go through in life. Trials with our kids, 
they would just listen to me. Or my parents would tell me, if you would just listen to me. So <laughs> trials in our relationships, trials at work. All of our trials are different. They're in different stages. Trials of losing somebody you really love. I felt that trial. You have too. The trial of a relationship, not where it's supposed to be at, right? Have you ever had a true relationship with somebody where it's the, that person just knows you? Pastor Ben knows. I bet you Natalie knows exactly what he thinks about or what he does with his actions or the way he, the way he moves his hands or, cause she knows him, right? Natalie, you know him. Natalie knows him better than all of us. Pastor Ben may put up a front in front of us, but Natalie really knows him. I may put a front. I may look like I'm okay, but my wife really knows me. That's what Jesus wants. It's an intimacy that's, that's real with him, right? And he says in verse 7 that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, the trials that we go through may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of trials is to refine our faith. It's to prove to Jesus that it's a real faith, not just a wishy-washy faith. When trials come our way, we as believers need to lean into God. And that's where he starts growing us. That's where we start depending on him and not ourselves. That's where we look to him for answers. Before we go to person A or person B, we look to Jesus first. The purpose of trials is to refine our faith, prove genuine and precious. The result of trials is to the praise and glory of God. That's why you go through trials. Ultimately, it's to praise and glorify Jesus, right? I can look at some of, some of the brothers and sisters in here. I can look at Joe, some of the trials he went through. And he would come in here, praise God, even though his back, he can't hardly move, or something's happening physically with him. The ultimate goal of trials is to bring us to a place where we thank you, God, praise you, God, because of this trial, because I'm able to grow through this trial. And hopefully you grow up and not be the same person going through the same old trial. We learn and we move forward. Don't be stuck in the same trial over and over again. Verses 8 and 9, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with great joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, salvation of your soul. No matter what trial you go through in this life, the end is the salvation of our souls. The trials that we go through in life, I'm not, I'm not telling you it's, the trials, you should be just strong-willed. And, and this is a guy who is very strong-willed and very like, his personality is, I want to conquer this problem and fix it. He's learned. He's at the end of his life. 
Shortly after he writes First and Second Peter, he's going to be martyred for, for knowing Jesus. And he's at the end of his life, and he's telling us, lean into Jesus. Because no matter what trial we go through, the end is the salvation of our souls. Verse 10 says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look upon. That's just, that's amazing to me. Like all the past prophets, all, all the guys in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And Peter is telling these guys, y'all, the trials that you've gone through, the old prophets, they were, they prophesied about Jesus coming. And here you have revelation that Jesus came and conquered death and he's alive and well. These are the things that all the prophets in the Old Testament were looking forward to. The things that you and I know today, they are, they were looking forward to that. And you and I get to experience that today. They're probably thinking, why? They're probably thinking, because I probably think to myself, well, why wasn't I born in that state, in that time, or that place? The prophets were looking forward to this. And they were, they're probably thinking, man, what it would be like to experience Jesus in the other side of the cross. And not only that, the angels marvel at our relationship with God the Father. The angels are like, man, you guys are so blessed. You have this intimacy with God the Father that we do not have. Man, what, how is God the Father going to work these things out? They're over there looking at us like, wow, they get to come to Jesus like openly. Like they don't have to go through rituals or a tradition they have this intimacy with God. It's available to you and I today. My question is, do we treasure that? Do we take advantage of that? And oftentimes this life will just eat away at that stuff where we put Jesus second, maybe third. Then we bring him up the first. Then Jesus adds to that tenth. When Jesus is all, he's not a number, he's all. He's your all in all. And that's why we gather here this morning. It's because of Jesus. The prophets and angels looked forward to that. And now we're in verse 13. Now, Peter tells them that he's, they've got an abundant mercy. They've got this inheritance in heaven. It's locked in for us. He tells them about the trials. He tells them about the angels and the prophets look forward to the relationships that we have with God today. And he says, therefore, as Pastor Ben says, when there's a therefore, we always look back. And we've looked back, and now we're going, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be 
brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling them, now that you've experienced all this, now that you know your heavenly inheritance, therefore, a lot of the trials, the difficulties of life that we go through, is through our thinking, right? The devil attacks us through our thoughts. Throws little fiery darts at us. If we don't check those fiery darts, if we don't take inventory, those darts get bigger and bigger. And by the time, you're just saturated in those temptations, in those thoughts that you've given in to the devil. Or you allow the devil to mess you up because we don't control our thoughts. And and Peter's telling these guys, hey, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest upon it. Peter's telling them, think clearly of the things that you're going through, especially in trials. Get ready, set yourself up, because trials, fiery darts will come. And he's telling these guys, be prepared. Your thoughts is a gateway into temptation for you to fall. If we control the things that we think about, not so much we control, but you give it over to God, say, God, I've got this thought here, thoughts of depression, maybe thoughts of suicide, thoughts of anger, thoughts of bitterness. These thoughts grow, and if you don't check them, if you don't take inventory of them, They'll mess you up. That's what Peter is telling these guys. Hey, be sober about the way that you think about the trials that you go through. Be sober about what you're thinking about, about the trials that you go through. And what as we as believers supposed to think about? What does the Bible tell us to think about? We are to think, set your minds on things above, not on things on this earth. We are to set our minds on heavenly things, not on things of this earth. Because this earth is fading away. And then in verse 14, it says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In verse 16 it says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God is a holy God, right? We as believers need to be taught holiness. There is a right and a wrong. God is a holy God. He is a God that's going to judge this world. We think of God, we have lovely thoughts because God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. But you know what? He's holy. And Peter's telling these guys, be sober in the way that you think. When you react to trials, be holy about it. Is your reaction to the trial, persecution that you're going through, is it representing God well? Is it holy? Or do you want to repay evil for evil? He's telling them God is a holy God. We need to be taught as believers how to act like Christians, right? 
We teach our children right from wrong. The Bible teaches us right from wrong. There's sins in this Bible, in the Word of God, that we are to not commit. Husbands and wives, if I go out and mess around with, with another woman, that is a sin that the Bible says, buddy, you are out of line. You know where that sin comes from? The action? From the thoughts. When you take in your thoughts, oh yeah, yeah, I'm looking pretty good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that girl's been checking me out. Slowly, you don't check those thoughts. You don't give it to God. God, I'm in the state of, I feel like the fiery darts of temptation are coming my way. But if you just entertain them, hey, you look pretty good today. So, man, have you lost the weight? Man, you've been working out. You don't check those thoughts and it's coming from the opposite sex. You don't think those thoughts would slowly creep in and allow you to sin? Be sober in the way that you think. God is a holy God. You know exactly where you're falling short at with being holy, right? You know, I know where I fall short at. Do we give it to God? God, I fall short in this in this area where you call me to be holy, please equip me, surround me with the power that I need to overcome this. Or do you just give in to your thoughts and slowly those thoughts turn into action? They turn into consequences because of the sin that we commit. You know exactly where you're at with God on holiness. Do you need to work on that? Do we need to confess some things? So let's move forward. Verse 17, it says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed, Jesus, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him, Jesus, believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Holiness. Sometimes we just put it aside because we've come to the grace and mercy of a loving God and we think we can live the way that we want to live. Do the things that we want to do. You know what? You don't belong to this world no more. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to a kingdom that's greater than any kingdom this world has ever seen. We need to act like we belong to a greater kingdom than, than this kingdom here on earth, right? The motive for holiness is our living hope, Jesus. Because of the hope of our future, our inheritance in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, we are bound to him to be holy. Because we are his children, and he is holy, we should be holy. 
out of reverent fear for Jesus, we should be holy. Not fear like I'm scared of you, God, which God can take anything out what he wants. But is a respectful fear knowing that this God of the universe we have direct contact with. Because we have been ransomed by Jesus' precious blood, we should act with holiness. Because of our faith and hope are in God, who resurrected Jesus from death, we should behave with holiness. That's some hard, hard stuff to swallow. Because I think we as a church, corporately, throughout the church and the world, We've left holiness for grace. We live in our grace, but we don't want the holiness that comes with it. We want to do the same thing the world is doing, but we have God's grace to run back to. I'm challenging you this morning. God is telling us in his word, be holy for I am holy. If there's some things that we're playing around with, check it. We need to bring it to the cross because ultimately it's going to take you down. So as we close, verse 22, since you have been purified, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The encouragement here is holy living as the new temple of God. Now, here's another challenge to you. We may live a holy life and everybody looks at us. Man, their life is just holiness all the way around. He's just floating through the sanctuary because he's so holy. And Peter's telling us, love one another earnestly. Holiness and love go together. You can't have just holiness. Your life is so holy, but you don't, you never love the other people, you never love the people of God. You don't love the people of the world. You're just into your holiness. And Peter is telling you, telling me, hey, you're real holy, but you're lacking in love. You're lacking in the love that God has for his people. Or you may be the lovingest person, but you're lacking in holiness. Love and holiness go together. You can be the most holy person here. Read the Bible cover to cover every other month, year after year. But if you never love, it's what like Paul says, it's like a clanging symbol. Your life looks good, but you, you don't love nobody. You don't extend forgiveness to people. You're still holding on to bitterness with those relationships you have. I can think of my relationships here with the people, at, my brothers and sisters here at church. There's times when I'm just like, but you know what brings me back is the love I have for the Father, and that allows me to show, put the bitterness down, show, extend forgiveness, no matter if the person's wronged you or not. We should be loving towards one another.
especially in the body of, of Christ. People need to see that love. Strangers don't need to walk in these doors and feel like, man, they leave here and feel like, that was the most unloving church I've ever been at. And I've been to a few churches where like, you walk in and nobody greets you, nobody acknowledges you, and you just left, you like, was that a church? Aren't the church people supposed to be lovey-dovey and welcoming? And I mean, we all have different personalities, but we all need to reach out and love people. That is our core principles here. Love God, love people, live radically. When you're loving God and you love people, your life is living radically because you're loving God and you're loving people. So the question this morning is, what do we need to work at? If you're here this morning and you don't know God, His abundant mercy is available for you. His grace is sufficient enough to cover up any mess up you've ever done. If you're here this morning, you've been walking with the Lord and you're just dry. If you ever walked outside, I've walked outside and it, I used to have like uh, brown looking weeds. But now they're all green because it's been watered. Are you a brown looking weed or grass? Do you need to be watered by his Holy Spirit this morning? We need to be touched by God. We can have the best teachers, the best, listen to the best messages, but if the Holy Spirit is never touching your life and impacting your life the way he wants to, we're just living holy lives without impacting the world because this world's fading away. And I encourage you as a body of Christ to continue praying, continue looking to Jesus for answers, because he's the only answer that will ever save anybody. Not me, not Pastor Ben, not anybody else, but God. Amen? We'll close in prayer, and Talia will sing us out. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you for your abundant mercy, your loving grace that leads us to your son, Jesus. And that through Jesus, we have a gift of eternal life, our inheritance in heaven. And we are encouraged with that, God, because there's trials here in this life. But those trials helps us to become the people you mold us to be. Not so much to be holy people with no love. Or loving people without holiness, but being holy, loving people for your glory and honor, Jesus. We love you this morning. If you're here this morning and you have not received the abundant mercy that God has for you, God is here waiting for you. As Pastor Benny always gives an invitation, and I want to keep up with that. If you're here this morning, you do not know God, just raise your hand. I will pray with you. You don't have to leave your seat. You just be there. You talk to the God, the Father, who created you, and he will come in and save you. You don't have to clean yourself up. He is the one who does the work. If you're here this morning, if you raise your hand, I will pray with you. Jesus will come and change your life around.
If you're here this morning and you are a believer, you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been having a hard time, especially this week in light of what's going on in this world, and you need encouragement this morning, pray you lift up your hands. We could all pray together. Yes, sister, I see you there. Church, as a church, we all need this. Let's all lift our hands up to Jesus. I'm going to say this prayer, and we're going to close out. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for a living life, life abundantly that you came to give us. We thank you for your incredible word. We thank you that we can walk in holiness. We thank you that we can walk in power of your love. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for going before us and ordering our step. Protect us from the evil one in this world and all its systems, its influence. God, I pray you empower us today that we wouldn't be the same. In light of what's gone on in this world, Lord, we look forward to our everlasting, eternal place, eternal home. We are just pilgrims in this world. We thank you that we're going to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.